Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. morning church. Today's Bible reading will be taken from the book of 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19. At the end of the reading, I'll end with the words, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, you should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for that reading, Dennis, and uh, welcome uh, to City Church. If you are joining us for the first time online, we're so happy to have you. My name is Femi Oshini. I'm lead pastor of City Church. Now, uh, we've been going through a sermon series through the entire book of 1 Peter. We're getting towards the end of that now, and so we're going to dive into this message that we've prepared. But before we do that, it's always good for us to ask for the Lord's blessing. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for... um, the privilege of being able to hear from you, to hear from you in an uncertain time, but to hear a certain word from you. And so we pray, oh God, that by your spirit, Lord, that you will move move through the things that will be said. Help me to speak as your oracle. But I also pray for the hearts that are listening. I pray, Lord, that you would open those hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will illuminate the word and then you would minister to the people here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, school assemblies are not um, the way they used to be before. And I can explain that because when my first son started going to school, and he was probably about three or four, between three and four, we just moved back to Nigeria. We just had to get a school to put him into. And I started noting that he started learning some new songs, new songs. And where were you getting this song? So for me, I was in school. So today he'll come, I want to teach you a song. Which one? Father Abraham has many sons. Ah, you learned that one in assembly. Yes, so I learned that in assembly. So he'll keep bringing all these new songs. And I wonder what kind of assembly is going on. Until one day, I really had to put an end to it. Why? Because he said, Daddy, I want to teach you this song. Listen to what we learned. Bend low, bend low, bend low. I said, stop. Bend low. What are you bending low? You cannot find God on the low. The only person you can find on the low is Angelina. You cannot find God there. Right? God is on the top. And this is the kind of thing that the assemblies are made up of nowadays. Unlike in my glorious time, right, we used to use um, 
songs of praise where we learned uh, things like immortal, invisible, God only wise, the rock of ages cleft for me, right? All things bright and beautiful. I was so fascinated by that book. Now, not just because of the songs, but if you read those, that uh, hymn book, the Songs of Praise, you'd also see the authors. And there's something striking that you'll have noticed there. It was their ages, how long they lived. They used to live, as far, far as I knew, an incredibly short life. It usually averaged around the early 40s. And so when I looked at that, I was always surprised by how short they lived. Now, fast forward to my son's time today, um, the 50s are the new 40s. 40s are the new 30s. 30s are the new 20s. You see, in my time, what used to classify as an old person who was on their way to death was somebody in their late 50s and their early 60s. So when I saw some people dying in their early 40s, I was surprised. Now, if Tofumi, my son, looks back and in my time, I start seeing people dying in their late 50s and early 60s, guess what? He will be surprised too. You know why? Because the progress of modern medicine expects us not to see people dying in their late 50s or in their early 60s. So we are surprised. We say somebody has come to an early death um, when they have died around that period of time. Now, this thing, this um, progress of medical medicine comes with a regress on its own. You see, because we expect continuous health, because we expect that there is no disease that a doctor should not be able to cure, that there is no medicine, a medical procedure that cannot help with it, we are surprised when suffering and death comes. And because of that, we are the most unprepared and underprepared generation to deal with the reality of suffering. But you notice what Peter says in this text. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised. Peter has long empathized with the people and the condition that they find themselves throughout the entire book. But at this point now, he's saying, but you should not be surprised. You should expect it. Why should they expect it? Well, he explains the reason for it. And then he goes further to tell them how they should react to it. And then finally, he tells them what to anticipate on account of it. He explains the reason for it. He tells them how they should react to it, and then further tells them what they should anticipate on account of it. And you see, those three things are going to form the division of how we are going to look at this sermon that we've titled, Don't Be Surprised by Suffering. And we look at that in three, uh, three uh, subsections, the explanation, the reaction, and the anticipation. The explanation, the reaction, and the anticipation. So let's go to the first one, the explanation. Now we're talking about suffering a lot in this entire book and it's worth thinking about what causes suffering. Now I want us to think about three different causes of suffering. One of them is general and then the other two are particular. That is when I say general, why is there even suffering in any case? Why is there suffering? But when I mean in particular is why is that person and why is that person suffering? So in general, what the Bible presents is that God did not create a world with suffering. God created a good world, a flourishing world, and he then told the people that he created in his image that if you go by these rules, then you will continue to flourish. They didn't. And 
we have followed after them in not always following God's rules. And because of that, we see that suffering tells us something is fundamentally wrong with the world. Because people are not going about living in the world God created by the rules and the norms that God has said. And that is why there is suffering. So when Adam and Eve disobeyed God the first time, this is what we call the fall. They fell. And we have been falling ever since. Now that explains why there is suffering. It doesn't always explain why that person is suffering. Now if you want to talk about suffering in particular, not suffering in general, there are two things that Peter tells us here we can find. They are not the only two things, but two of them are in this passage. The first, the, 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 and they have to deal with criminality and identity. So the first one, criminality. Why do people suffer? Well, some people suffer because they are caught for particular wrongs they have committed. They suffer for crimes. Look at verse 15. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, a thief, or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. That's so we have a lot of criminals in our time. And it says, look, when people receive sentencing, right, when people are in prison for the things that they have, the crimes they have committed, you can understand why they are suffering in particular there. Peter said, that is not the way we should suffer. But here is another way he says, when he says, do not be surprised, is because of another kind of particular suffering. He says that in verse 12. In fact, in verse 16, he says, do not be ashamed for this kind of suffering, the way a criminal would be. He says, this kind of suffering has something to do with our identity. Notice he says that it's the suffering that comes because we are Christians. Verse 16, if you suffer as a Christian, that's why he then says that you are the one, later he says, you bear the name. You are suffering because you bear the name in verse 16. He says this suffering is as a result of our participation in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 13, we, he says you should rejoice. Rejoice. In as much as you participate in the suffering of Christ. What does it mean that I am participating in the suffering of Christ? This suffering I should not be surprised by. Let me give you an example. I'll use football in England in the Premier League, the top league in, in England, there are two clubs that are from the same region, North London, and they do not like themselves. They really hate each other because they're from the same region. They like to talk about who is the number one, who is number two. They have a rivalry, and those two clubs are called Arsenal and Tottenham Hotspur. The truth is that every Tottenham Hotspur fan knows that Arsenal is number one. And we know Arsenal is number one, not just because of all the trophies that they won, it's because I support Arsenal, you see. Now, that reminds me of a time, one of the most glorious times in Arsenal's history. In fact, Arsenal achieved a feat that no other club, Manchester United here, Chelsea here, Liverpool here, no other club, Manchester City, none of you have achieved in the, in the season of 2003 to 2004, the Arsenal team, the immortal Arsenal team, they are called the Invincibles. You know why? They went through the entire season and they were unbeaten. Nobody beat them. I was such a, I mean, that was a wonderful time. I remember getting the Arsenal jersey, the Invincible jersey. I had this yellow jersey. Number seven was on my back because my favorite player at the time was Robert Perez. And I wore the jersey. And do you know the funny and wonderful thing about that season? Where we won the league, you know where we won the league, right? It was on Tottenham's home turf. 
on Tottenham's home turf. We called White Hart Lane. We won the league there. We didn't win. We, we, it was a draw, 2-2. Two, two. We went 2-0 up, and then we gave them two, two uh, goals, free of charge. But we won. Now, just imagine if I was there on that day, in my Arsenal yellow jersey on that day. But I was not in the section for away fans. I wasn't in the section where they would have put Arsenal fans. I was in a section where the Tottenham fans were, where the home fans were. And imagine on that day, I was now jubilating, singing, talking about how Tottenham were stupid, were useless, and Arsenal were just great. And I was with the home fans. What do you think will happen to me? Um, I think what will happen is that a number of them will insult me. And a number of them will possibly harm me. You know why? Because I will be receiving on the stands what the Arsenal players were receiving on the field. The Arsenal players will have been receiving hatred from the Tottenham players on the field. And I, because I was wearing their jersey, will also participate in the suffering they were receiving. But I will not be receiving it on the field. I will, I will be receiving it on the stands. And when I receive those insults, guess what will happen? I will rejoice. You know why? I will rejoice because I'm like, I am participating in the suffering of my club. I bear their name. I will be wearing the jersey. I will be wearing the logo. I bear their name. That's exactly what Peter is saying here. He says, it makes sense that the same evil forces that connive to crucify Jesus, it makes sense that now that you are wearing Jesus' jersey, they come for you. And he's saying, be comforted in that because that means that you are participating in the sufferings of Jesus. Do not be surprised if they insult you. Verse 14. Don't be ashamed because you are wearing his jersey. Rather, let that make you rejoice. You know why? Because he says, if that happens, you are blessed. Verse 14. You are blessed. Now somebody then says, well, does this mean that evil is in total control of my life? No, it doesn't. Because even though the evil forces mean it for good, Right? Even though they want you to suffer, verse 19 tells us that you are suffering under the will of God. In other words, maybe I can use this illustration. When Tofumi, again, was very young, he wasn't even a year old, and my wife and I were studying, um, we were advised. Even though we wanted to, you know, he was our first son, we wanted nothing to happen to him. You know how we all cover our children when they are babies, you know, wrap them in cotton wool. You don't want anything to happen to them. And we didn't want him to get any germs outside. A doctor advised us and said, you need to take him out. You need to take him out. Let him start playing with other children. I was like, why? He will get sick. He said, that's exactly why I want you to take him out. Like, what are you talking about? I don't want my child to get sick. But you see, the doctor, there were two wheels at play here. The, the doctor is saying, yes, take him out to get sick. Let him get viruses. The will of the virus was to make him sick. But the will of the doctor was to build his immune system. And so while the evil forces just want you to suffer and be destroyed, there are two wills at play. There is the will of the evil force, but there is the will of God. You are suffering under the will of God. And if it's the will of God, it is for your good. There are two wills at work, but only one will is sovereign. And that's why in verses 17 to 18, it's telling us something. It says, for it's time for the judgment to begin with 
God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, he quotes, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become or <coughs> sorry, <coughs> um, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Notice here that there is one judgment, but there are two parties. God is the judge, but there are two different kinds of people he's judging. Those of his household and those who do not obey his gospel. God is, as it were, bringing a fire. One fire, for those who do not obey the gospel, is for condemnation. And the other fire, for those who obey the gospel in his household, is for purification. One happens in this time, and the other happens in eternity. And this is not the first time in the Bible that this contrast is being made. This contrast is made, as you see, in Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 to 3, and, and, and verse 5. Where on the one hand, God is talking about when it comes, what will happen to the Levites who look after his holy work. But what would also happen to those who continue to sin uncontrollably? That's, here's what it says. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a laundress soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them as gold and silver. God's will, as he's judging his household, is to purify. God says there are things about you right now that are not good. And my judgment comes, though using the suffering uh, that comes as, as a result of the evil forces working against you, I sovereignly work, uh, I sovereignly use that to bring judgment to you to purify you. Whereas the other, he says, but verse 5, so I will come, again, I will come to put you, this is the ones who do not obey the gospel, to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord God Almighty. One, uh, two wills, but only one. Is suffering. He's trying to bring about good in you, even though the evil forces are trying to bring about something else. They crucified the Lord of glory, thinking that they had achieved something great. But if they had known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. This is what 1 Corinthians 2 tells us. This is why we rejoice. You see, it's not that we rejoice in the pain that we get from suffering. We rejoice in what suffering produces. God is going to clean house. God is going to clean this world. But he says, before I cleanse the world, I want to cleanse my house. And so when God is allowing suffering to come to you, he uses the suffering for your benefit. That is why you rejoice. We don't rejoice in the pain. We rejoice in what the pain produces. This is exactly what happened to Jesus, he says in Hebrews chapter 5. Remember, we are following after Jesus. Hebrews 5, it says, Son, though he was, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And if that happened for Jesus, that he produced something, what do you think will happen? to us. In Romans chapter 5 verses 3 to 4, Paul says this, not only so, we glory in suffering. And you think, 
What kind of religion is this that likes suffering? No, it's not suffering for suffering's sake. Paul says, we glory in suffering. Why? Because we know, we know that suffering produces perseverance. And then perseverance produces character. And then character produces hope. We rejoice in suffering because we bear the name of Christ. We are participating in the suffering of Christ. But also we rejoice because of what suffering is produced, producing in us because the sovereign God's will is at work in our life to produce character, to produce perseverance, and to produce hope. And so that's the explanation. Now that takes me to the second point, which is the reaction. So somebody is going to say something like this. So what am I meant to do? How do I live my life with all that I have heard? Now, in order for me to answer that question, let me give this illustration. It has to do with repetition. So, you know, um, there are two types of repetition I want to talk about as they apply to a musical record, as they apply to a musical record. One is annoying. The other one is enjoyable. You know, back in the days, you won't believe this, that this is back in the days. Back in the days when we had those things called CDs, Right? After a while, what happens? You are listening to a song, one of your favorite songs. Then notice you now have this, ah, 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 The thing goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Something is repeating. It's not a sound that you like. It's not the repetition you like. In fact, we called it a scratchitition. Right? It is a repetition induced by DJ Scratchy. Actually, a repetition induced by a scratch on the CD. You don't like that kind of repetition. But there's another kind of repetition we find in musical records. You know what happens? You play the song, you notice there's a first part. Let's call that part one. Part one is song. After part one, there's another part, part two. Part two comes after part one. Then after part two, there's another part, part three. You know what comes after part three? Part two. Then after you sing that part two the second time, you will sing part four. Do you know what comes after part four? Part two again. And then part two again, and again until the song ends. You know, we like that kind of repetition. You know why? Because part one, part three, and part four, we call them verses. Part two, we call a chorus. And the chorus being there is part of the fabric and the structure of the entire song. In fact, it is the most important part and pleasurable part of the song. That is why it is the part that is repeated so that you can remember it. And in trying to address us in this passage as to how we should live, Peter is going to tell us something that is like a chorus that he has been telling you throughout the entire letter. He's going to tell you the way you live is not to yourself. It is towards God and towards others. Verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to who? Their faithful creator and they should do what? Continue to do good. Commit to him and continue to do good. Let's take the first one. Commit yourself to him. Now, the tendency for us is to think, wait, hang on. Am I not suffering under God's will? Isn't he the reason that I am going through this? Why should I then commit myself to him? Should a suffering employee commit themselves to their abusive boss? Should a suffering wife commit herself to her abusive husband? Now, if you are thinking with that analogy, this will be a fundamental misunderstanding of the character of God based on the fact that you are suffering. 
because then you are not you are um, almost paralleling God as make as uh, making God to be an abusive destroyer, whereas He is not an abusive destroyer. He is a what faithful creator. That's what Peter says. By saying he's a faithful creator, he's you know, as a creator, he's a designer. He's a designer. And as a designer, he is faithful to producing good from his design. Even when it doesn't seem initially, even though it doesn't initially seem so. Take, for instance, the designers of the internal combustible engine, right? They are designers. And you think, what good can come here? They realized that for motion to come, we need to bring in heat. Some people will say, oh, heat is not good. Heat brings discomfort. But what they're saying is, no, this heat, this combustible heat, if we can keep it within, is going to lead, it's going to produce something good, it's going to produce motion. And because of that, it's not only produced motion, it's produced cars. In other words, they were faithful to producing good out of their design, even though it doesn't initially seem so. And in the same way, Romans 8.28 tells us that God is a faithful creator designer and he's working out, he's using all things to work out the good of those that love him and are the called according to his purpose. And guess what? Included in all those all things is what? Suffering. And that was the life of Jesus. A man of sorrows, rejected by men. And yet, in that life of sorrow, what did Peter tell us that Jesus did in 1 Peter 2 verse 23? He says, when they hurled insults, their insults at him. When they hurl insults at you, what should you do? Well, do what he did. He did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Entrust yourself to him. Commit yourself to him. This is not an abusive destroyer. This is a faithful creator. Put your faith in his faithfulness. Because he's a God that sees all things. And he's a God that is working all things out for your good. I tell you, it is the most difficult time to pray when we are in difficulty. And that is precisely the time we should pray. Commit yourself to him. The second thing is to continue to do good. Again, our tendency is not to do good. Because we say the suffering is coming from being connected to Christ. And he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But I'm keeping the commandments. And actually, it's the commandments that has enabled me to be, in keeping the commandments, that has enabled me to become a target in the first place. Well, listen, if he's working out all things for your good, then you need to continue to do good. And this must be done personally and socially. In James chapter 1, verse 27, he um, says that, that we, uh, what is pure and undefiled religion? It is to visit the orphans and the widows in their distress socially, but to also keep yourself unspotted from the world personally. And so if we have to do personal good, you have to be careful about the things that naturally come out of suffering, anger, bitterness, drunkenness. This week I spoke with somebody who said he was kicked out unjustly from a particular organization, a particular Christian organization. And he said, after that, he, he said, before that I had no vices. He said, after that I started to drink. I started to drink. 
The logic works this way. If living according to your standard got me suffering, then I might as well live according to my own standards. But you see, true fans, true football fans do not abandon their teams when things are not going well. It is what we call fair weather fans. Ah, Arsenal is not doing very well. Um, let's, join to, let's jump to Manchester United. You know those people. They just enter football because of their boyfriend or whatever. They like to be on the winning side. But true fans don't. If you are truly wearing this jersey, you don't say, because suffering has come, now I'll do my own standards. You say, I belong to Christ. And it is even in the time of suffering that I will commit myself to God and continue to do good. Keep on doing good. The second is socially. Again, in times of difficulty, we tend to forget about others. Why? Because we immediately enter self-preservation mode. It's at that point we start becoming more stingy. We start becoming unkind. But here, Peter is saying, don't stop. There was somebody I spoke to uh, a few weeks ago. Um, she'd been battling a particular illness for a while. And it wasn't as though things were getting better. And because of that, at some point, she started to grow bitter inside her. She started to grow bitter. And so I talked to her throughout all of, uh, talked to her through all of this and spoke about the theology and of what the Bible presents and all those things. But I asked her something. When last have you checked on anybody? When last have you checked on anybody? Because you see, most times when we are suffering, we say, why should I check on anybody? I am the one that people should be checking on. And she said she hadn't in a while. She had not in a while. And so she decided to. She started talking, started asking people, started calling people. And guess what? She found joy in it. Because previously she had allowed her illness to define her. By saying that illness defined her meant that the actions that came um, out of her heart was as a result of, look at me, this illness has put me in this condition. This is the way I'm meant to live. But when you allow Christ to define you, even in a time of difficulty, you know what? You continue to do good. You look for others so that even though she has not received healing from her suffering, she has found meaning through her suffering. And she sounded just like a brand new person the last time I checked her. And I have to say this to City Church members. I personally, as a pastor, I have felt absolutely loved in this period. Because quite ten the tendency is for people to think, well, at this time, he doesn't need anyone to check up on him. He should be the one checking up on us. After all, he's the shepherd. And so many of you, I can't, uh, somebody called me that normally doesn't call anybody. Called me yesterday. We spent an hour on the phone. Another person sent texts all through the week. Pastor Femi, no, 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 no. I don't want to ask, I don't want you to ask me how I'm doing. How are you doing? How is uh, Tosin doing, your wife? How are the kids doing? Let us continue doing this. Even when we are not certain. Even when we are not certain of the next paycheck. Even if you cannot give money, give calls. Give encouraging messages. But if you can't give money, don't say, I don't know what's going to happen next week. I don't know what. No. Be responsible, but at the same time, do good. Because those who identify with Christ, those who recognize that they are suffering under God's will and are able to rejoice, you know what they do? They commit themselves to God and they demonstrate that they are truly committing themselves to that faithful creator by continuing to do good. May you be found to continue to do good. This leads me then to my final point, the anticipation. Because I know what somebody is saying now. This isn't worth it. 
Christians, if this is my problem, we still like to glorify suffering. And I can prove it to you. Because what do I get out of all of this? What do I get out of all of this? Character development. That's it. That's it. All God gives me is character development. Well, first of all, I don't need Christianity to achieve character development. But second, if all that is I get, is if all is all of that is what I get, and I'm a man, I believe in results, this is not worth the investment. Because if character development is all I get, it seems like God is always taking, taking, taking. He's taking my time. He's taking my enjoyment. He's taking my health. He's taking my money. He's taking all that is there for me. And what does he give me? Character development. This is not a worthy investment. And I would say to you, if you are that kind of person, please don't be mistaken because you are not really understanding the point. Imagine if a junior finance colleague, let's say you are working in a financial firm. Imagine if a junior finance colleague came to meet you and said, you know what, ah, Olga, studying for this CFA exam, it's really difficult. I didn't know to take this amount of sacrifice. It seems pointless as it's taking money, it's taking time, it's taking my Sunday. Everything is taken from me. It is just taking, taking, taking. What would you say to him as a senior colleague who also has a CFA? You know what you would tell him? You would say something like this. Don't be surprised though that it is requiring this amount of sacrifice. In fact, you should be happy that you are able to take to have this first class education. You should be happy that you have the brain to be able to assess it. And you should be happy that you have the money to even pay for it. And guess what? You would even be happier when you receive your promotion. Don't be surprised by it. And then you explain the reason why. And you tell him that there's something coming after. Did you notice that progression? You basically said, don't be surprised by your current situation. Be happy with this reasonable explanation because you will be happier. You will be happier when you see the final conclusion. Don't be surprised by your current situation. Be happy with this reasonable explanation and guaranteed you will be happier at the final conclusion. But friends, that is exactly what Peter is telling us in verses 12 to 13. He says it there, do not be surprised by your fiery ordeal. Why? Go to verse 13. Rejoice because you are participating in the suffering of Christ. And then after he says, so that you may be overjoyed. On the one hand, you are rejoicing, but he says there's something that will happen that will bring overjoy, exuberant joy. He says when what? When his glory is revealed. When his glory is revealed. Do you know why? Because Jesus Christ did not just suffer. Yes, he suffered in his life. Yes, he suffered on the cross. Yes, he suffered, but he did not remain dead. He was risen. He was resurrected in glory. He ascended into heaven. And now he is the king of the world. And yet he also has the inheritance of the whole world. Christ's inheritance that God has, had, had made to him was that he will be ruler of the world. He is an heir. He is an heir. And he had entered into glory eternally. And this is what is the promise. Why he says that you will rejoice. You will be overly rejoicing when he returns. It's because when he returns his glory in glory, it will be for our own glory. If you participated in his suffering, you would also participate in, your, in his glory. In Romans 8, he puts it this way. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You have sufferings now, but it cannot compare with the glory that shall be revealed in you. Why? Look at the verse just before. It says, if we are children, 
then we are heirs. Heirs of God and what? Co-heirs with Christ. If we indeed, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. Listen, Christianity does not have any fair weather fans. If you put on the jersey whilst we are fighting in relegation, you will have the right to put on the jersey when we lift up the Champions League. If you suffered with him, if you participated in his sufferings, therefore you will participate in his glory. How do we know that? What guarantee do we have for that? There is the objective guarantee that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It is a fact. But there's also the subjective guarantee in your heart. How do you know that you receive the glory? Because not only are you blessed, verse 14, the spirit of glory rests on you. Oh my gosh. You see, God has never ever left us alone. When Jesus Christ was with his disciples, he says, even though I am leaving now to go to heaven, I will not leave you comfortless. I will send another one just like me to come and help you. He will come and comfort you. You think you are going through suffering and we are just giving an explanation? No. God has said, commit yourself to me. Why? Because I will also be in you. God helps you through the spirit that is in you to comfort you. This is how God comforts because he is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. He comforts you. But the Holy Spirit is the one, as He is comforting you in the suffering, that transforms you. He is the one that produces the character in you. But guess what? He is also the guarantee. He is not just the Spirit. He is the Spirit of glory. You have already started to taste of that glory when the Spirit comes in you. But He is the guarantee. He is the one pointing forward to the fact that you will receive the glory. Friends, he says, do not be surprised that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. You know why? Because the reason you are suffering temporarily is because Christ suffered eternally for you. But guess what? Those who are not surprised by the suffering should not be surprised by the glory that they receive. You know why you receive eternal glory? It's because he has already entered into glory for you. So rather than think that this is a God that keeps taking, 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 rethink. He is a God that keeps giving, giving, giving. He has given you an explanation and gives you more and more explanations. He has given you character development. He has given you perseverance. He has given you tenacity. But also he has given you his son. He has given you his spirit. And he has promised that he will give you an inheritance. What are you waiting for? Give yourself to him. Give yourself to him. And he promises once you do that, you will be blessed. You will bear his name. He will give you the spirit of glory. He will comfort you. He will transform you. And he will bring you into the glory that cannot be compared with the sufferings that you are experiencing. If you are that kind of person, and if you also want to build your character and go through this season of suffering, coming out out of the right way, then let us pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.